talked about where Cain got his wife. And uh, the Bible said that Cain got his wife from the land of Nod. And I was in a meeting one time, and there's a preacher preaching. He said, I believe that's where some of you are. He said, you're in the land of Nod. And they were about to nod out. I hope nobody will nod out this morning. And uh, he told us this morning, Pastor did, about how that... Uh, how that, uh, you know, the Lord brought uh, the, the rib out of Adam's side and made a woman. And uh, he said he made the woman last because uh, that he said when he looked at the man, he said, I could do such a better job than that. He made the woman, brought her in last. I said, I've got one a little better than that, I think. The reason he made the woman last, if he hadn't, she'd have been telling him how to make the man to begin with. <laughs> and my wife nudged me and said, might have done a little better job. I don't know. But it's good to be here today, and I'm glad you're able to laugh. Some of you are smiling. The Bible said, A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit drieth the bones. And it's good to be able to laugh a little bit. And we saw some of you on yesterday down at the boys' ranch. Some of the senior saints were there and came. We had a good time there. It's just a real honor to be here this morning. I feel like the Lord would have us to deal with this passage of Scripture, the Gospel of Mark. Chapter number 4, we'll begin reading in verse 35. Now, this is a very familiar passage of Scripture. And you pray for me. I've just uh, recently been to the dentist, and they're working with bridges in my mouth. I tell you, they, they told me a fable years ago. They told me that life began at 40. And I found out life don't begin at 40. Maintenance begins at 40. <laughs> It's bridges and it's bulges and it's bifocals and it's bunions and my, my, maintenance begins. Don't you laugh. Some of you are laughing. Maintenance begins at 40, but it's really good. And I saw a car. Let me tell you this and we'll get into the message. We were coming across through Oliver Springs and uh, we saw a 51 model Buick. And the reason we knew it was 51 on the license plate, it said 51 Buick. And that's the year I was born, 1951, so that tells you about how old I am. And uh, I said, that thing sure does look good. My little boy said, Daddy, I said, that's the year I was born. He said, Daddy, that car looks brand new. He said, how come you don't look that good? And I said, well, son, they've reconstructed that car. My wife said, we've been reconstructing you for years now. Working on I said, but they did a frame off reconstruction. And I thought about that when I said that one of these days. Thank God I'm going to get a glorified body a frame off reconstruction. And I tell you, by the looks of most of us, we're candidates, aren't we? Looking forward to a glorified body. And that'll be good. Mark chapter 4, verse number 35. The Bible said, In the same day when the evening was come, he said unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And I never read verse number 35 that I don't like to drop down to chapter 5, verse number 1. When the Bible said, and they came over unto the other side of the sea. You see, the Bible said in verse 35, he said, let us pass over. In chapter 5, verse 1, the Bible said, and they came over. I'm glad that we're passing over right now. The day that you got saved, the hour that you got saved, it was as though you stepped on board the old ship of Zion. And our destination one day is going to be the other side. And we're going to arrive one day safe on the other side. Look at verse 36. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him, even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. There arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. 
He was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillar. And they awake him and said unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now this is the great story here of our Lord and Savior as he was on board the ship. And they were going to the other side and, and the Lord fell asleep in the hindered part of this ship. And the Bible said that he was asleep on a pillow. Somebody had brought him a little pillow and, and the Savior laid his head down and he went sound to sleep. He had been preaching all that day and ministering unto the needs of others. And here you see his humanity as he fell asleep in that boat and we find him here sound asleep and he's even sleeping through the storm. You know, I'm glad he's able to do that. He's able to sleep through the storm. And you know, as you read this story, it was not, it was not the blast of thunder. It was not the flashes of the lightning that aroused him. He was sound asleep in the midst of that storm. But when his disciples came unto him and touched him and said, Master, carest thou not that we perish? He arose, friend, that aroused him when he saw his own in need and he stood to take care of that storm. Now there's a lot of things today, they're not alarming the Lord. They're not even interesting him in some different ways. But I tell you, when a child of God, when one of his own children says, Master, carest thou not that I'm about to perish? Lord, don't you really care? I'm glad that'll bring the Lord to our very side and our very need. And that's what I want to preach on. I, I just want to lift from out of this passage of Scripture. I want to go there to verse number 38. And I want to use this little thought. When the disciples, they awake him and said unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Now, I know this morning that you understand that Jesus cares. I know that we believe that and we know that. But you know, every now and then we need to have that reassurance in our heart. We need to be told afresh and anew that Jesus really does care for us. Now, it's easy to understand and it's easy to believe that the Lord cares for the pastor. It's easy to understand that the Lord cares for the missionary and the Lord cares for the evangelist. But I want to tell you this morning, uh, irregardless of who you are, you say, well, Brother Buster, I'm just a little teenager in here today. I'm just a young man or a young lady. I want to say Jesus cares for you. You say, preacher, I I'm a single parent. You say, Brother Buster, I've just came through a divorce and, and my life has just been turned upside down. And, and it seems like nobody cares. I want to tell you something. Jesus cares for you. You say, preacher, I'm a housewife. And, uh, preacher, I'm a factory worker. And, uh, Brother Buster, I'm a senior saint. And, I'm a widow. And, and I live all alone, preacher. And, I want to say, Jesus cares for you. Thank God I'm glad this morning that the Lord really, really does care. And every now and then I need somebody to tell me that and reassure me that the Lord really does care. Now as you see here, 
in Mark chapter number 4, I give this a little outline like this. You see the interrogation of his care. They begin to interrogate him. Now, you know what we would say? We would say, hey, disciples, how come y'all don't understand that while you've seen the Lord's miracles, that you've seen his handiwork, you know that he cares. But sometimes when you find yourself at in the midst of a storm and, and you think you're about to go down and even we too are prone to say, Lord, do you really care for me? And here you see the interrogation of his care. They interrogated him. They questioned him and said, do you really, really care? And thank God he showed them how much he cared. You saw his, you saw his humanity as he lay there asleep. And, but when he got up and he arose and, and he rebuked the wind and the sea and, and there was a great calm. There you see his divinity. There you see him in all of his power. And he, and he demonstrated unto him how much he really, really does care. And then very quickly, you needn't turn, but take, go with me in your mind. Think about the gospel of Luke chapter number 10. You've heard the story preached over and over and over about the parable there of the Good Samaritan. You remember how a certain man, he left Jerusalem, went down to Jericho, and he fell among thieves, and they stripped him, and they robbed him, and they wounded him, and they left him half dead. The priest came by, the Levite came by, and they passed by on the other side. But thank God for Luke 10, 33. And a certain Samaritan as he journeyed came where he was, poured in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, took him to an inn, and paid him up for two days. You say, preacher, what is that in Luke 10? There's an illustration of how much our Lord cares. The Levite couldn't help that boy. The priest couldn't help that boy. Law and religion couldn't help him. But the good Samaritan's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he came where he was. And he got involved with him. And poured in the oil and the wine. A type of the Holy Ghost. And set him on his own beast. That's a type of the grace of God. And took him to the end. That's a type of the church. And paid him up for two days. Read your Bible. Paid him up for two days. You know how long the Lord's been gone? He's not hardly been gone two days yet. Uh, one day with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. And why, He's paid us up for two days, and He's not hardly been gone yet two days. Oh, there's a beautiful picture there of the illustration of how our Lord cares. And then I, I thought about also in the book of First Peter, chapter number 5. Simon Peter's writing to the elders and the bishops in that passage of Scripture, and he came down to verse number 7. Simon Peter said, casting all your care, casting all your care upon him. Watch this, for he careth for you. And you hear the Holy Ghost speaking, for he careth for you. Now you say, Brother Buster, I know the Lord cares from Mount Pisgah Baptist Church collectively, but I want to say he cares for every one of you individually. Every one of you individually, He cares for you. You say, preacher, you don't know who I am, where I've been, what I've done. And you don't know my past. You don't know nothing about me. It's irregardless. It doesn't make any difference. And if you're saved and you're born, if you're here lost, and if you're here and you're not saved, the Lord cared so much for you, He died for you. 
He cares. And in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, there's an invitation to His care, casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. And I always love to hear Brother Sammy Allen. Oh, Brother Sammy Allen from Resaca, Georgia. He'll get to preaching right here. Brother Sammy said, casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. And he loves to illustrate it. And old Brother Adam will take his coat off. You won't mind me just uh, illustrating this momentarily, will you? Old Brother Samuel will take that coat off. And he said, here's our cares, church. Here's our burdens. And here's all our problems and our fears and our anxieties. And, and he said, here's what we're to do with them. And he said, we're just to cast them. Just cast them upon the Lord Jesus Christ. For He careth for you. You know what we're prone to do? A lot of us, we'll be in a meeting and God will speak to us. And what we do, we wheelbarrow our cares down to the altar. And we'll park it about right here. And we'll get down and pray and say, Lord, I can't handle this. There's no way I can take care of it. And God, I want you to help me. I want you to give me grace and give me strength. But most good Baptists, you know what they do? Instead of dumping that wheelbarrow of care and problems, they pick it right back up, wheel it right back to their seat, and go right on through life like that. Brother, I'm telling you, the Lord can handle what we have need of. Now you say, preacher, I, all that's just the introduction. There's a little outline uh, and the interrogation of his care, an illustration of his care, an invitation to his care. And I want to preach a little while this morning on Jesus cares for you. Now you say, preacher, when does he care? And you're going to need this. You may not need it this morning, but in an audience this size, I guarantee you, I'll be touching on some areas and places in people's lives that they need the reassurance this morning that Jesus really does care. Number one, when the storms of disappointment come, when those storms of disappointment come, you're going to need to know, friend, that Jesus really, really does care. Now, if you've been saved any length of time, if you've been saved five months, somebody has already disappointed you. Some of you have been disappointed by other Christians. Some of you have been disappointed by preachers. Some of you have been disappointed by your family some of you are disappointed in the way your children have turned out. Many, many people are disappointed in these hours that we're living in. Storms of disappointment are going to come, friend. They're just going to come. But when those black howling clouds of disappointment come in and the flashes of lightning that say, you've been disappointed, you've been disappointed, it's good to know. That in the midst of all of that disappointment, there's one standing there who really, really does care. You know, I, I think about in the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 24. You remember there was two disciples. They're walking down the road of Emmaus. You remember that? It's been three days and three nights since Christ was crucified. They're walking down that lowly, stormy road of disappointment. And all of a sudden, the duet turns into a trio. There was a stranger that joined up and began to walk with them. They didn't know it was the Lord. Their eyes were holding. They didn't recognize Him. And He said, why are you so sad today? 
They said, are you a stranger in the land? Do you not know about Jesus of Nazareth that, that was crucified and buried and, and we thought it would be He that would deliver us? And but the Bible said that Jesus, He began to take Him through the Psalms and the prophets and, and He began to preach to Him how Christ must die, suffer, die, and be buried and raised the third day. And, and they still didn't know who He was. They didn't even recognize Him. And they got down to their house and uh, the Lord made it made as though He'd go on by they said, won't you come in and take uh, dinner? City folk call it dinner. Us country folk call it supper. And they probably said, won't you come in and take supper with us? And, and he did. And he came in. And they said, sir, would you ask the blessing? And the Bible says, my Bible said that Jesus took the bread. They don't know who he is yet. And he took the bread and before he broke it, he blessed it. I'd sure, I hope God's got that on video. I'd, I'd like to heard our Lord praying that day when He blessed that bread. And son, I see as He begin to pray, and they think, wait a minute, I've heard this voice before. I've heard somebody else pray like this before. And when He said, Amen, and He began to break the bread, when He broke the bread, the Bible said their eyes were open. I believe it was when He broke that bread, they saw the wounds in his hands and they recognized that it was the Lord Jesus and he just departed out of their midst you say preacher what are you driving at those two disciples were discouraged they were discouraged but on that road of discouragement and that road of disappointment the son of God was standing in those shadows and he was there to reveal himself and manifest himself to those two discouraged disciples in that mist of disappointment. Oh, some of you think you've seen the greater glimpses of God on top of the mountain. But I beg to differ with you down in that stormy time of disappointment and disillusionment and all of that. And when your back's up against the wall and you don't know where to turn. And, and all of a sudden, the power of God and the blessed Holy Ghost and, uh, shows up, friend. Shows up. I tell you, it's encouraging. Now, I've been disappointed. I've been disappointed. And if you look at me long enough, you'll get disappointed in me. I mean, we're made of the same stuff. But I want to say along with Pilate, I find no fault in him. And I've never been disappointed in the Lord and the Savior. Some of you right here this morning, I guarantee you that your little ship of life is sailing through some stormy disappointment. The devil's trying to get you to shipwreck. He's trying to get you to jump out of church and bail out and throw in the towel. You just stay with the Lord. You just wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord, and He shall renew your strength. He'll show up, friend, in that storm of disappointment. Let me give you an illustration or two. I was preaching a couple of years ago in the state of North Carolina, and then down on in South Carolina where I was at. And this man that I was preaching for is 72 years old. He has a good church, a large church there, and uh, he, he wanted me to go see his son. His son was 47. His name was Roger. And he wanted me to go see his daughter. His daughter was my age, about 42, and her name was Gail. Now, this is the pastor of the church, mind you. He's raised his children right. He's brought them up in church. But the boy got out of church, got away from God, and a situation came that he was plumb out of church. So we went to his place of business. And this old man of God, he said, Brother Buster, you're going to see some things that you don't agree with. 
But he said, be mindful, my boy's away from God, and I, I'm praying that he'll get right. And we entered that place of business, and there was the parlay boards and the football boards, and there was the beer and everything. That wasn't a liquor, it wasn't a liquor store, but he had a place of business where it was being sold at. I stood there that day and witnessed to that 47-year-old man, and uh, he didn't get right, and he didn't come to church, but as we walked out the door, that old preacher, tears, was running down those wrinkled cheeks. We got in the car and we pulled out and he said, let's go see my daughter, Gail. And we got down to his daughter's house. Now, this is her daddy, mind you. And we were knocking on the door, knocking on the door. And out of the darkness of that home came a voice and it was his daughter. And she said, Dad, what do you want? And the pastor told me she was going through depression, a lot of depression. Now, some folk, they mimic depression. They make light of depression that... I tell you, if them dark clouds of depression ever settle in on you, it won't be a laughing matter then, friend. She was there, and she was so discouraged and so disappointed, that, and she would not even come to the door. That she said, Dad, you and the preacher, go away. Go away. She said, I don't want to talk to nobody today. We got back in that car and started back toward the prophet's quarters where I was staying. That dear old man of God just weeping and weeping and weeping. And I looked at him and I called him by name and I said, Preacher, I said, Jesus cares. I said, Jesus. I knew what he was thinking. Man, the devil done crawled up on his shoulders. Every demon in South Carolina was hanging around him saying, here's your reward. Here's what you get for serving God. And he was in that storm of disappointment. But it wasn't long after that he called me. He said, Brother Buster, my daughter, my daughter's seen the sun shine again. My daughter's back on the organ playing at and he said, I believe my boy's going to get right with God. Oh, listen, Jesus cares. You better listen. In the storms of disappointment. Somebody's going to break your heart one day. Somebody's going to disappoint you one day. Somebody's going to let you down. No, you better have your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to have your eyes on the Lord. In the storms of disappointment, Jesus cares. Number two, may I hasten to say, in the seasons, now hang on, every independent, fundamental, premillennial, non-compromising Baptist better hang on. In the seasons of discouragement and doubt and disbelief. Now you say, wait a minute, preacher, we don't doubt, we don't doubt. Don't run that junk on me. I've done live long enough. I've done been around enough Baptists. I know what we're all made of. Well, you say, I don't doubt God. Why, friend, listen to me. Man, don't make a statement like that lest you be found a liar. You may have not doubted your salvation, but I guarantee you've doubted a few times God's provisions and God's power and God's ability. Why, we've all been guilty of that. Uh, we don't like to get this on the scene. But there'll be some seasons of disbelief and yea, even doubt that'll come in your life. And when they come, you need to understand that Jesus still cares. He still cares for you. Now you say, preacher, you got any Bible to back that up? Hey, listen to me. One, they may come a day. You say, brother Buster, don't you know you've been saved and born again and passed from death unto life? And sure I do. 
But hey, I may die one day of Alzheimer's disease. I may come down and not know who I am. I may wind up in a hospital and asylum like a thumb-sucking introvert. I may not even know what my... You may come and see me one day and say, Brother Buster. Now, I'm going to not tell you, I ain't your brother and I don't know who Buster is. And you might say, Preacher. I might say, What is a preacher? I may lose my mind, friend, one day. But that's not going to change the record in heaven. Thank God my name's written down in the Lamb's book of life. And and I may lose my sanity. But that's not going to change the record in heaven. You don't know how you're going out of here. You don't know how you're going to have to leave this walk of life. There may come some great seasons of doubt and discouragement. Disbelief in your life. You say, got any Bible fact? Glad you asked. I'm glad you thought of that. You know, you go back in that Old Testament and you begin to read about Brother Job. Brother Job, most Baptists, all they know about Brother Job, chapter 1, 2, and 42. Most of them never read chapter 3 through chapter 41. Job passed the test in chapter 1 and chapter 2 with flying colors, brother. I mean, he did real well. You ever thought about it? Disaster took his fortune. Death terminated his family. Disease touched his flesh. The devil turned his friends against him. And then deceit set in on him. And the Bible said in chapter 3 and verse number 1, And after this, after chapter 1 and 2, where Job passed with flying colors, after this, the Bible said Job cursed the very day he is born. If you'll study that book of Job with an open mind, Job got kind of arrogant. He got kind of put out with his those friends. That came, I probably would have too, friend. I mean, they come over there and sit down for seven days and wouldn't say a blessed word. They just sat there and looked at Job, looked at him, and looked. that's enough to make anybody get a little nervous. That's the way most of these independent Baptists act anyway. He sat there seven days, all those friends did, wouldn't say nothing. And when they opened their mouth, they criticized him. And they said, Job, you're a backslider. There's secret sin in your life. You know what Job said one time? He said, when you boys die, knowledge is going to pass away. He said, y'all think you know everything. Yeah, Job got a little put out with it. Got a little arrogant about it. And then God showed up. God showed up and God said, Job, girt yourself up like a man. Job, stand up before me. Job, if you know so much, you tell me. Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of this earth? Job, and boy, Job, he had to repent in sackcloth and ashes. But you see, Job began to doubt and had some disbelief. He said, the arrows of the Almighty have afflicted me. He began to blame God for what was going on in his life. You understand that? You understand? Listen, it wasn't God that afflicted Job. God allowed the devil to have access to Job. God dropped the heads down. And the devil was the one that done the dirty work. But you know what the devil was wanting Job to do? Bring a railing accusation against God. Discredit God. The battle wasn't between the devil and Job. The battle was between the devil and God. The devil said, God, you let me at him. I'll get him to discredit you. I'll get him to curse your name, God. Old Job had some serious disbelief and get some doubt about that thing. Oh, you ever thought about Brother Jeremiah, the weeping prophet? Well, Brother Jeremiah did real good, friends, until he got over there about chapter number 20. 
and he run into a man by the name of Pesar, and Mr. Pesar smote him on the face, put him in stocks, made a derision of him. People walked by and laughed and scorned at Brother Jeremiah. And he said, God, I'm not going to make mention of your name anymore. He said, I'm through with this preaching business. I'm not going to preach anymore. Now, he had some doubts about his call to preach. He had some serious doubts about fulfilling the ministry God gave him. But it only lasted for a little while. For the Bible said his word was in my heart as a burning fire. Jeremiah, you know what he said one day? He said, oh, that I had a, a lodging place in the wilderness for wayfaring men. Jeremiah wanted to go in the motel business. He said, I need a place out here in the wilderness for some wayfaring men. And he said, I want to get away from my adulterous, adulterous nation that he was living in. Jeremiah wanted to quit the preaching, but he said, go in the motel business. He had some serious doubts. You say, you're not convinced me yet, all right? What about Brother Elijah? Elijah, boy, I love to read about Elijah, don't you? I like old Brother Elijah. Called fire down out of heaven. I tell you, got on top of that mountain, prayed seven times. And on the seventh time, he said, servant, what do you see? He said, I see the hand about the size of a man's hand. It must have had five little pinions sticking out on it. Five is the number of grace. Elijah said, the grace of God's ascending rain. You better get off this mountain, boy. You better tell Elijah, you better tell Ahab to get out. I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. Son, oh, Elijah outrun Ahab's horse and chariot. And man, he was doing so good. Had a great revival on Mount Carmel. And guess what happened? Jezebel said, I'm going to do unto you as you've done unto my prophets. And he ran. He went a two days journey. He went a two days journey and he left his servant as far as you'll get without the Holy Ghost too. You go ahead and leave the servant of God. You leave the blessed Holy Ghost and say, I don't need you. And he went a day's journey, fell under a juniper tree and he said, God, just let me die. God, just let me die. No better than my fathers are. God, I'm the only one left that's serving you. You ever had that Elijah syndrome? I'm the only one left, God. I'm the only one that's still standing. I'm the only one down at the factory. I'm the only one down there at the paint shop. I'm the only one down at school still living for God. Oh, I tell you, if I'd have been God, I'd have handled Elijah different. I'm glad I'm not God. And uh, I'm glad for a lot of reasons you're not God. You'd have handled me different sometimes. But you know what the Lord did? Listen to me. The Lord sent an angel down there. And Elijah, what he did? He fell asleep. He just laid over and conked out. Fell asleep. And I hear him sawing them logs and them Z's coming out of him. And the angel touched him. And woke him up. Elijah looked and there was a cruise of water and there was a cake, a whole cake, probably a cathead biscuit, and it was a bacon on the, on the coals there. And the angel said, Arise and eat. Arise. You know what God was saying? God was saying, Elijah, I know you're discouraged. I know you got some disbelief. I know you even got doubt about you, boy. But I care for you. And you know what he did? He ate that and went right back to sleep. Just conked out. Fell right over, went back to sleep. And the angel Lord come back again. And touched him and said, Arise. And there was another cake of bacon. There was another cruise of water. And the Bible said he did eat and he drank. And he went in the strength of that one meal 40 days. You know what the Lord was saying, Elijah? I care for you, son. I care for you. I care for you. You say, preacher, you just about got me convinced. What about Matthew chapter 11? You know who's there in that chapter? A man by the name of John Baptist. 
I'll never get through with this. Don't, don't, don't take that. What's that? Somebody always says preach sometimes. Preach sometimes. Oh, John the Baptist. You know where he's at? Matthew chapter 11. You remember John's ministry? You remember how he came out of the wilderness? He was eating locusts in one hand, wild honey in the other. And, uh, man, he was preaching repentance, repentance, repentance. John the Baptist had one message. Are you listening? Wake up. He had one message. That was repentance. And every sub-point was repentance, repentance, repentance. Why, he said, you bunch of generation of vipers, who's warned you to repent? He said, I want you to bring forth some fruit, meat for repentance. John the Baptist was a preacher of repentance, brother. And you know what Jesus said of John? Not a greater born of woman. Oh, why y'all so quiet about it? John was preaching repentance. Would you like to hurt John? Son, I see old John, he's preaching on repentance. And he's that old leather-lunged Baptist preacher. Old Dr. Percy Ray years ago. Dr. Percy Ray from middle, down there, down there in Mississippi. Myrtle, Mississippi. Dr. Percy Ray said they wasn't but one man on the top side of this earth qualified to baptize Jesus. Said his name was John Baptist. And he said, John Baptist baptized Jesus. And he said, Jesus never did write back for his letter. So you'll catch on after a while on that maybe. <laughs> Amen. John Baptist. I'm glad I'm a Baptist. Somebody said, what would you be if you wasn't a Baptist? I'd be ashamed and embarrassed. I'm a Baptist. Capital B-A-P-T-I-S-T. You hear me? And an independent Baptist of fact. And glad of it. No apologies are made. And old John, he was getting ready to preach. And all of a sudden, you know, see, Herod, Herod, somehow Herod liked to hear John preach. And he'd show up occasionally on the street corners where John was preaching. And uh, Herod came one day, and some of the men came to John before he got out there and took his pulpit stand. And they said, John, guess who's here? He said, tell me, I see him take a plug of that wild honey. And he gets him a little shot of that locust. And he's a chewing on it and a spitting. And, and they said, John, Herod's here and he's got his brother Philip's wife. He's got Herodias with him. And they said, John, what are you going to say about this? And I believe John said, and he spit and he said, come and see. Why don't you just show up and come and see what I'm going to say? You know, you're talking about boldness, friend. You're talking about boldness. Oh, John mounted that pulpit and he began to preach on repentance. The only message he had that he said, You better repent. You better repent, Israel. And he took that bony finger of judgment. And old Herod sitting on the edge of his seat. And he said, Herod, I'll tell you something while you're listening. It's not lawful for you to have your brother Philip's wife. This is not lawful. Boy, old Herodias, that Jezebel, you hear me? That Lucy got mad and she was embarrassed and humiliated. The Bible said them that sin a rebuke before all that others may fear. Would you have liked to have John as your pastor? Would you have liked to have John as your pastor? She said, I'll have your head one day, man. I'll cut your head. I'll have your head. You know what they did? They put John in prison. That kind of preaching will get you put in prison. No John sitting down there in the cell. And all of a sudden the crowds are not coming. His disciples have joined up with Jesus. And he's almost all alone. And even getting to see doubt sets in. Disappointment sets in. And old John's there. A couple of disciples always got left. He whispers out through a vent in that cell. And he said, hey, hey, anybody still out there? And they said, we're with you, John. They said, go. John said, go find him. Go find Jesus and ask him this question. 
Are you he that should come? Or should we go looking for another? Do you understand the ramifications of that statement? John the Baptist was so discouraged, so disappointed, so full of doubt and disbelief, he began to doubt Jesus was the Messiah. Brother, they went over there and they found Jesus. It's not hard to find where Jesus is. There's always activity. Somebody's getting some help. Somebody's getting right. Somebody's being raised from the dead. And they found where he was. And they said, Master, Master, we need to ask you a question. We're about ashamed to ask you this. But the Lord said, Say on. And they said, We're from John's camp. And, and John's in the prison. Jesus said, I know where he's at. What does John want to know? And they said, Jesus, John wants to know, Are you he that should come? Or should we go looking for another? Boy, you and I would have handled that different, wouldn't we? We'd have said, hey, John baptized me. And, and John heard my heavenly father speak and with an audible voice. What's he doing, John? But you see, Jesus understood John's circumstance. And he said, listen, man, here's what I want you to tell him. Here's what you go tell John. He said, you go down there and tell John that the deaf are hearing, the blind are seeing, the lame are walking. And he said, the, the poor have the gospel preached unto them. And... Blessed is he whomsoever is not offended in me. Boy, they begin to turn and start walking. And I believe this. I'll find out the judgment seat. They begin to turn and go toward John. And hey, this has shut the crowd up. This has shut the great crowd up around the Lord Jesus. Man, John was their hero. And now John's doubting that this man is Jesus, the Messiah. Boy, they're thinking, well, what about John? What about as those two men are heading over toward John, Jesus turns to look at that crowd and said, what, 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 what went you out there to see? What did you go to see? A reed shaking in the wind? What did you go to see when you went to see John? Jesus made this statement, and these two men are probably still in here in distance. Jesus said of, of women that there's not been born to greater than John Baptist. Even though he doubted, had disbelief and discouragement, the Lord said, there's not been born of woman a man greater than John. Son, I see them two disciples headed this way, and one looked at the other and said, did you hear what the Master said? Did you hear what Jesus said? Son, they take off a run, and they run over there, and they, they say, John, John, John. John said, what did he say? Is he the one we're looking for, boys, or should we look for somebody else? They said the blind see the deaf hear the lame walk. The poor have the gospel preached unto them. And, and by now, John's under deep conviction. And he, he, he's sorry even asked this question. He's so sorry. And they said, John, as we are leaving, you're not going to believe what the Lord said. Boy, John's ready for a rebuke. John's ready for a scolding. But they said, John, Jesus said, a man born of woman, there's not a risen a greater than you. You're the greatest man that's ever been born of woman. And you know what Jesus was saying? John, I care. John, I care for you. I, I'm about to have me an old time, halfway Babcostal spell. You hear me? Uh, there he is in that prison cell of disbelief and doubt and discouragement and despair. Jesus said, John, I'll tell you something. I care for you. I care for you. You'll find yourself there one day, child of God. You're going to find yourself one day in the season of discouragement and disbelief and yea, even doubt. But that's not going to change the record in heaven. 
Amen, amen. Oh, we got to get out of here and close, don't we? Some of you got your crock pots of cooking. Some of you worried about the roast going to burn. Hang on, what about when it seems, listen to this now. When it seems to be disaster. When it seems to be total disaster. Jesus still cares. He really does. You know, seems like everywhere I go over the walls, I don't know whether God's let me mature a little bit. I feel like I'm still in the, in the playpen crowd. I've not grown much, and I'm ashamed of that. I ought to have grown more. But it seems like the more I go, and the more I listen, I hear so many people that are hurting and broken from the battle, and, and they've just been crushed so many times. And uh, they need to hear. They need somebody to reassure them. Jesus really does care for them. Boy, I tell you, as I crisscross and I travel the country and, and in so many meetings and hear so many testimonies, there's disaster. People hurting, hurting everywhere. You know, when old Stephen was stoned to death, dear preacher friend of mine said, they didn't stone Stephen to death, said they locked him to sleep. That's a good way of looking at it. They didn't stone him to death, they rocked him to sleep. And the Bible said Stephen just fell asleep. Before he fell asleep, he looked up as there's beaten. I tell you, listen, can you imagine? I don't mean to be grotesque, but brother, they were dropping stones on him in that stoning pit. And I hear bones popping. I see fractured, compound fractured bones sticking through the skin. I mean, maybe, maybe an eyeball laying out of a socket and a jaw crushed. And old Stephen looked up and he said, I see Jesus standing at the right. You know what Jesus was saying? Stephen, I care, son. I, it seemed like disaster. Jesus is saying, I care. I, I could go through the Bible with so many illustrations. The three Hebrew boys. I know this is all elementary, but don't, you know, I'm still on the bottom shelf, you know. Three Hebrew boys are standing there, Shadrach, Meshach, and a bit. What do you think they're doing like this charismatic crowd says they're doing? Well, praise Jesus. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Go throw me in the fire. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I don't believe a word of that. Son, I tell you, there's a looking at that fire furnace. They looked at old Nebuchadnezzar. They seen his eyes. They seen the wickedness. They seen the demonic power. And he said, boys, I'm going to give you one more chance. If you don't bow, you're going in that fire and you're going to burn. They Listen to this. They said, oh, king, we are not careful. They said, we're not careful about how we're answering you. In other words, they said, we, we know what this statement means and the ramifications of it. They said, King, our God is able to deliver us. But let it be known to you whether he does or whether he doesn't. We ought to be a preaching some on that. I know our God's able to deliver. I know our God can heal a cancer. I know our God can deliver. But whether he does or whether he doesn't, we ought to serve notice on the devil. We're not going to bend. We're not going to bow. Son, he said, heat that furnace up seven times hotter than it's ever been heated. Heat it up. And they saw it getting redder and redder and hotter and hotter. And those men opened up them furnace doors. And the men that grabbed them and throwed them in, the heat consumed them and they fell dead. And Shadrach and Meshach go falling in there. They're bound. And all the fire did. 
was just burn off the things that had them bound. And the old king standing there and the doors are open. And he looks in and he rubs his eyes. And he said, great God, I thought we threw four or three in. And there's four in there. And the form of the fourth is as of the Son of God. It seemed to be disaster, but you know what the Lord was saying? He is saying, welcome in, boys. I'm in here. Hallelujah. I'm in here, and I can handle the fire. Old Brother Mays Jackson was preaching on that text one time. Old Brother Mays was a laborer, and he had that white stuff around the sides of his mouth. Somebody asked him one time, said, what's that white stuff around the sides of your mouth, Mays? He said, that's milk from the land of Canaan. Amen. And he was a preacher, and he had them boys in there, and he brought Shadrach out, Meshach out, and Abednego out. And a young boy sitting on the front said, Hold it, preacher! You left the fourth man in there. Get him out! Brother Mays paused and he said, I ain't going to get him out. Said he stays in the fire. So when you and I get in the fire, he'll be there with us. Hey, hey. When it seems to be disaster, Jesus cares. I was in a meeting this this past week. I closed out Wednesday night. And God seemed to bless and help us. And there was an elderly lady. She got up and began to weep and cry. She said, Preacher, my husband's got Lou Gehrig's disease. And she said, Preacher, my husband doesn't know nothing. And she said, she just wept and cried. And I was glad I was able to say, Jesus cares. Jesus cares. You know, the pastor knows what I'm talking about. I have so many people in these meetings and things that share things. And you hear things. Everybody's life sooner or later, disaster seems to come. Down at the uh, coronary care unit, down there in the intensive care unit, telephone call comes ringing in the night. Oh, so, and even what the devil does, he tries to say, where's God at now? You've served God, you've tithed, you've given faith promise, you've given missions, you've labored. Where's God at? i tell you where he's at. He's right where he's always been. He's on the throne. He's in heaven, brother. He's there to help. When it seems to be disaster. Disaster. I'm hurrying to close. Jesus cares over saints that have drifted. Saints that have drifted. How many do we know that have drifted away from the Lord? He really does care. He really, really does care. I was coming, I'd been preaching a prison meeting several years ago, and I was over there in Lumberton, North Carolina, in the Indian Territory. We dropped down out of North Carolina into South Carolina and came across that way. Brother Tim Ramey was with me, Brother Tim. And it was about midnight. Man, it was cold. It was in the winter months. And had that old car had, had a CB radio built into it. And I just took that mic down and I keyed that thing. And I was on channel 19. And I said, hey, anybody know how to get to heaven from out here? And a truck driver came back and said, make a right turn and go straight. I said, praise God. That sounds pretty good. If you're saved and born again, make a right turn and go straight. Then another voice came across that channel and said, who are you? And I said, well, who are you? He said, are you a preacher? And I said, yes, sir. He said, what kind? I said, trying to be the Lord's. Make a long story short, we dropped down a few channels where nobody else would be listening. But I kind of think some other boys followed us down. This old truck driver, he was about 28 years old. He said, preacher, he said, I've got hurt in a church situation. He said, I, I left the church in South Georgia, moved to North Georgia, and he said, preacher, he said, I was a deacon in the church, just a young deacon. And he said, preacher, he said, I grew me a little beard. He said, I grew me a little old beard. He said, I like to, like to deer hunt some. And he said, I visited this little church up there in North Georgia. 
And he said, I went a couple of times. He said, I pick a guitar and sing a little bit. And he said, after I'd visited a couple of times, he said, I asked the pastor, could I sit over in the side and just, just uh, chord with a choir? Now, right or wrong, irregardless of what we think, there's, there's ethical ways of handling things. And this pastor said, nobody does nothing around here with a beard on. You know what he did to that boy? It blowed him right out of the water. Blowed him right. Well, I don't, I, he wouldn't have let uh, Finney preach to any, Charles G. Finney. Uh, he wouldn't have had Spurgeon come over and say anything for him. Huh? And he probably wouldn't have had Jesus say anything. The Bible said they plucked the hair out of his face, irregardless of what you think. And, uh, well, we could get off right there, couldn't we? And, uh, that's it. Well, anyway, let's go. I don't want to pause down there. And he said, Preacher, I'm out of church. I've been out six months. He said, I got a Schofield Bible van on the dash of my truck. He said, I've got scriptures wrote down over here. He said, Preacher, can I get right with God tonight? Can I get right with God tonight? I tell you, I said, Son, tap your brake lights. I thought he was in front of me. I couldn't tell. I said, Hit your brake lights or your headlights. And I saw the taillights come on. And I said, Son, if you'll pull that rig over, we'll have a prayer meeting right here on the side of this interstate. Next thing I saw was smoke. He locked them trailer brakes down. Smoke's a out. And he pulls over. And man, here he comes running. And he had his Schofield Bible, and I got out of that car. He, he grabbed me. He didn't know me from Adam's house. Cat. Hugged my neck, and he was just a cry. And he said, here's my Bible, preacher. And about that time, we're getting ready to get down and pray. Here comes a guy out the other side of that truck. His name was Gerald. He had a hat on, said, born to raise Hades. That's the Greek word. Y'all understand what I'm talking about? That's what it said. Man, he looked like he was born to raise it, too. He was a rough-looking old codger. And he come around there and I said, what's your name? He said, Gerald. I said, Gerald, you under conviction. God deal with you. He said, no. I said, we're going to have a prayer meeting. You mind? He said, help yourself. And then old brother Tim and that old boy knelt down. And we got to praying and a squalling and a walling around them gravel truck drivers were going by blowing their air horns and making fun. It didn't make no difference. And the next thing I did, I looked around. I was praying and watching at the same time. And Gerald, that old lost sinner, he had his hat off over his heart. And he's down on one knee like this. That's all he knew to do. He re- at least he had a little reverence. Man, we was a praying. That old boy jumped up and grabbed my neck and hugged me and hugged old brother Tim. He said, thank God for telling me Jesus still cares. He said, I'm going to get in church Sunday morning. I'm going to get my family back in the house of God. He said, I'm glad to hear Jesus still cares for saints that have drifted. It was just about out of range. We couldn't talk no more. And I heard a voice come on. And it was a quivering voice. And it was old Gerald. It was that other boy. He said, preacher... I said, yes. He said, would you pray for me? I'm not saved. I said, I sure will, Jim. You know what? Some people, listen, there's people out there. They're out there. They're everywhere out here. And they need to know that Jesus still cares. There's some of you right here in Mount Pisgah Baptist Church. Listen to me. You've been hurt and you got hurt and you was out of church. Somebody knocked on your door. Somebody told you to the department store. Somebody came by to see you. Somebody called you. Said, Why don't you come over to church? Why don't you get your family back in church? I guarantee you they're in here like that. People need to know that Jesus really does care. Really does care. Last and I close. And I know I've been a little lengthy. I don't know how long we're supposed to preach. I preach till I get through. But... Uh, you know, when the sentence of death comes, when the sentence of death comes, well, that's hard, isn't it? 
when you have to walk away from a new mound of dirt out there, when you've planted a loved one, when, when you've planted that one, that companion you've lived with for all those years, it's hard. And when the sentence of death comes, it seems so final and so cold and so hard. And you know, the devil will say, God doesn't care. Here's what the devil does. He'll say, now, ma'am, why did God take your good husband who was a Christian leave all these sodomites and dope addicts? Oh, yeah. Oh, he'll, he'll, he'll say, why did God take your, your wife, husband? Why did he take your precious wife that was a good lady and loved God and left all this other crap? I know how the devil operates. There was a dear old saint of God. She lives, she's still alive. She lives up there in Pigeon Forge. And her name, her dad's, dad and them was a member of the church there she gets excited and she gets, you know, she's about 65 and she shouts and has a good time. And her husband died when she was about 40. She never remarried. She never, just never did remarry. But when, when he died, they went to the funeral and had all of that. And uh, they came back and the daughter said, Mama, we'll go and stay with you. And we'll, we'll go and help you through this thing. She said, no, just, just, just me and the Lord's going to take care of this. It'll be all right. She went back up there in Pigeon Forge where she lives and a little white picket fence. And said she made it through the fence and she got that old skeleton key out, the old time door, and she stuck it in there and she said she began to have some real serious doubts. And she really began to wonder, how am I going to make it? How am I going to look at where he sat? How am I going to look at where he used to eat there at the table where we had our conversations? And she said she went ahead and mustered up some faith and she opened that door. And when she stepped through that door, she said it was as though a voice deep down in her soul said, Kathleen, Kathleen, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you and I'll go with you always, even unto death. Boy, she said the presence of the Lord was so real. And about that time when she tells this testimony, you better get out of her way. She's going to take a trip to one side or the other and get to shout a little bit when the sentence of death comes. Last Christmas, maybe it was two Christmases ago, a friend of mine by the name of Randy Holt, Brother Randy Holt, he pastored in Atlanta, Georgia. <clears throat> Brother Randy's wife was named Cheryl, and she had a disease in her blood, and they were having to ship her to Washington State, and they were going to do the bone marrow and stuff with her blood and things, and, and uh, she came through that fine. And she was in a rehabilitation house, and in there she caught a little disease, just something small. It got back in her bloodstream. Less than three months, she died. And I went to see her in the hospital in Atlanta. And uh, when I, after I was there, just a few days, her mama called me. She said, Brother Buster, Cheryl's died. And they wasn't. See, Randy and Cheryl, they wasn't but about, I guess, 30. They had two beautiful little boys. And that mama died. And that uh, dad was left with those two boys to raise them. And uh, he, we were scheduled for a revival meeting. After the death of his wife, I called and tried to comfort him. And, and then he called me back right before the meeting. He said, Preacher, they voted me out of the church. He, he said they didn't walk the old-time way. And he said they throwed me out of the church. And, and he said, Brother Buster, the job I was working here in Atlanta, it shut down. And I thought, my goodness, I've never, you know, his wife died. And, and he told me three or four things that happened. And all of a sudden, he said, Preacher, but the boys are handling the death of their mom." And he said, Brother Buster, the Lord has been so precious to us and so real to us. And he got me stirred up. I mean, I was going to try to comfort him, and he began to encourage me. 
He said the presence of the Lord is really, really real. I'm going to tell you something, friend. That sentence of death is going to come to your family one day. All these things. Maybe there's some sinner here today. A sinner that's diseased. A sinner that's desperate. I want to tell you something. Jesus cares for you. Well, I'm so glad I can tell the doctor and the lawyer that Jesus cares. I can tell the old motorcycle boys that Jesus cares. The dopers and the harlots. Hey, I'm glad that I can say Jesus really, really does care. He cares. You know what I'm interested in this morning? Listen to me and we're through. It's good to know that Jesus cares. But you know, in Luke chapter number 10, when Jesus gave the parable of the Good Samaritan, there was a certain lawyer that had asked the question that instigated this parable. He said, who is my neighbor? And the Lord gave that illustration. Then the Lord asked that lawyer. He said, which thinkest thou was a friend? And the lawyer said, he that showed mercy upon him. And Jesus said, listen, go and do thou likewise. You know what the Lord is saying? The Lord's saying we're supposed to care. We're supposed to care. We're supposed to care. I wonder how much we really, really do care. And I really wonder how much that we really care. It's good to know this morning. I thought, I thought if I only had one time to preach here, if I only had one opportunity to preach at Mount Pisgah, Lord, what would you have me to preach? It just seemed like that it just it was burdened on my soul. Just tell them that I care. Tell them. There may be somebody here this week and your son has walked off like the prodigal. Maybe somebody here gone through some kind of disaster. Maybe somebody here this week, God forbid, but maybe somebody here this week, your husband, your wife has walked off the desert. You need to know Jesus cares. Maybe there's some young man, some young woman here this morning, you're in trouble. Mom and daddy don't know about it yet. But you're really, really in trouble. I want to tell you something. Jesus cares for you. Let's bow our heads and through preaching. You've been good to listen. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. I'm going to get a song of invitation this morning. I appreciate you being so attentive. Heads bowed and eyes closed. And they begin to play softly as they take their place. Aren't you glad that Jesus cares? I wonder if there's somebody here would say, Brother Buster, and listen to me, I'm not going to go away and put out some kind of other list of how many people came forward. I'm really concerned about maybe somebody's here and you'd say, Brother Buster, God spoke to my heart this morning. Preacher, I'll be honest with you, the devil had me really, really worried about if Jesus really cared. And I needed to hear this this morning, preacher. I want you to pray for me. I'm going through a storm, a valley. Preacher, there's a situation I just needed to hear this morning that Jesus really, really does care. Is there anyone like that as they play softly? Anyone, anywhere, preacher, pray for me. Pray for me. God bless you, ma'am. God bless you, ma'am. And you, son? Yes, ma'am. Yes, lady. Yes, ma'am. Somebody else, preacher, pray. Just pray for me. Yes, ma'am. Maybe you're walking through that disappointment. 
that doubt, that disbelief, discouragement. You'd say, preacher, just remember me in prayer. Somebody else. Anyone else. Preacher, pray for me. My heart's broke this morning. Preacher, I'm carrying a heavy load. Yes, son, I see your hand. Someone else. Anyone else. Just before we pray. Just before we pray. One more question. I'll be through. I wonder if there's somebody here today would say, Preacher, I'm not saved. Preacher, I'm not saved. I don't, I don't know that today if I was to die, I'd go to heaven. Preacher, would you have this church to remember me in prayer? I'm a sinner. And I want to be saved. I need to be saved. Is there anyone like to just slip it up and take it back down? I'll not embarrass you. I'll not come to you. Just want to pray for you. Anybody that cares enough of that much about your soul, you'd say pray for me. Anyone. Anywhere. Just slip it up and take it back down. Heavenly Father, please. I'd ask today that you'd seal the message to our hearts. I pray for those, Lord, that needed most to hear this today. That Jesus cares. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to reach out to you. I pray that we'd take the admonition of Simon Peter. As the Holy Spirit led him to pin down those words, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. I pray, Lord, that you'd help these that raise their hands, indicating a burden and a need. May they respond to the bidding of the Holy Ghost today. Lord, I'd ask you to speak to every heart. And Lord Jesus, as we leave today, as we come back tonight and then get ready to go into this week, help us to care for others. Help us to demonstrate that in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want us to stand to our feet. I want us to sing a verse of this invitation, brother. Pastor Walls will come and close out momentarily. There's some of you, you you're really burdened down. You've really got a heavy load. You're in that storm of disappointment. You're in that season of disbelief. It seems to be disastrous. Why don't you bring it to Jesus? Why don't you bring it to him this morning? Don't worry what anybody else is going to think. Just why don't you come? Bring that load to Jesus. Find his peace. Find his help. While we sing, would you come? Would you respond as the Holy Ghost is is tenderly calling He's calling. Calling today. He's calling. Calling today. Don't leave like you came today. Some of your heart's aching, your heart's breaking through disappointment, through heartache. Why don't you bring it to Jesus? Calling today. He really cares. He really does care. Won't you come?